0: Oh,
1: it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so the season trundles on as we round off the last week of November. Uh, We're at the start of a long stretch of FPL now, as mentioned last week, unfettered by international breaks as the game disintegrates into the haves and have-nots as the sharp divisions continue to impact ranks. As we move forward, we thought maybe this is a good time to have a look again at how we fit everybody in as we try to optimise our size to get into that one sort of game weeks to come. Right, everybody's here this week. Nick, first, you're right, as usual.
2: Man, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Had my uh, birthday weekend, so I'm 32 years young now. Um, no, I'm 32. Do you not know my age?
0: <laughs> we have some uh, some I'm Discord 32. here in the Harris household.
2: Yeah, but I'm hey, you're... 40, born in '88, so I'm 32.
0: Speak for yourselves, lads. You're all ancient, <laughs> right? No, yeah, no, we are <laughs> definitely getting on a bit. Nick,
1: if
2: we can't we remember are... how old we are, or our wives can't remember how old we are. <laughs> so yeah exactly um so yeah i was just saying my birthday wish of um a de bruyne captain return came true and the likes of salah and son remaining quiet as did my old rat-faced nemesis on the monday night so who are we well, who got the assist make sure to follow us on twitter or instagram at wgta.fpl um you can join our league as well the code is C P-S-U-O-F. Um, and we're also joined as always by the sprightly youth of the pod that keeps the younger audience engaged. Um, Anthony
0: how are you doing? Not too bad lads, not too bad. Uh, Managing away after another I think decent week. I was saying to Tom there before we started recording I've decided that I'm having a good season from now on, that's how it works and uh, this week went okay because of that so we'll we'll keep moving forward. Uh, Agenda for this week as Tom kind of alluded to there it's Focus on the premiums and then who is missing out in your team in the, as a consequence of that. So you've San, Bruno, Sala, Mane. That's just the midfielders and there's still the likes of Mares, Rashford and Ziyech in there as well. Forwards, then you've got the likes of Kane, Werner, Vardy, Cavani even, Aguero, Jesus. So many options in there, but we kind of need to redistill that down because this is the hectic part of the season and obviously you can only fit so many into your team. We've correspondence as well coming up after the break as well as Q&A. But first of all, we're going to start with the Game Week reviews.
1: Wow, it appears some miracle has occurred because like, despite me moaning to you guys a lot over the course of the weekend, I appear to have come top out of the three of us. Um, it's obviously not a huge win because uh, Nick has somehow managed to smuggle his way to the same overall gross points, but I've won on a net basis, which, um, which I will take. Um, it's uh, 64 points for me this week, uh, which oh, no, I think it might be 65, actually, if Grealish has got those free bonus. 65, yeah. 65, to... okay, great. Yeah, 65 points for me this week. Um, so kind of seeing the wild card eventually come through and provide a green arrow after last week's red. Um, I, got, I think I was, I was down to 2 million now, up to 1.4, so to 100k rank peeled off, which is always nice. De Bruyne uh, uh, getting those uh, two assists for a 10-pointer. Uh, Fernandez ma- matching him with the goal and the assist. Uh, at the back, uh, Chilwell, Diaz, and no Cancello, which meant that Jamal Lewis, a last-minute uh, swap. I put him in first bench over Kilman, and so six points come off the bench for him. And uh, Jack Grealish tonight. Uh, Jamie Vardy, unfortunately, just about got an assist. Um, which was uh, all right. I mean, it was at the point where at the start of the, at the, start of the game, if you said, I'd give you an assist, would you, would you take it or leave it? I'd leave it and hope for the best you in the game. But it was, it was kind of quite late on. So it was kind of like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take it now. I'll definitely take it. I'll take anything. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the, the only kind of thing again that kind of soured it a tiny bit was uh, I've got Ollie Watkins who missed the penalty, hit the bar, and uh, in the 91st, 92nd minute, had one of the kind of uh, definite offsides. Him having that goal disallowed and also missing the penalty, he went from oh, you know what could have been a you know, 12 point performance down. He's actually got zero. Uh, so, yeah, not, not the greatest end, um, but yeah, you know, having Grealish is a nice little hygiene factor. So, yeah, 64, can't really complain too much. I'm um, just hoping that I can finally get a captain bang
0: rather than the captain. Yeah, at least he's got something next week. Anthony, you're next, right? I am indeed, yeah, in the middle of the two of you in this case 62 points, that's uh, gross on net Just It was a fine week, it could have been a much better week But it was still, you know, we'll take it Forward line, definitely flatter to deceive Kane, Cavertlew and Brewster uh, You know, five points between them, not great Salah as well in midfield Not the greatest returns, but of course did have a goal ruled out And I think generally I'm still quite happy to have him in my side Jack Grealish, 10 points, thank you very much And Kevin De Bruyne was my captain that could have been a phenomenal score. Still ten points doubled, we'll take it. I've had plenty of blanks this year that it's it's okay. Suchek, whatever. Chilwell, eight points again. sue uh, Sufal, two points. And then off the bench for Cancelo was Stuart Dallas coming in from second bench actually because Mitchell didn't play in first bench that was a particularly fortunate uh, addition and then Martinez disappointingly one point in goals so overall I'm into a six figure rank for the first time I think since game week one 876k projected so onwards and upwards where um, it's on Nick, I'm chasing you down but uh, in the meantime whilst he may have had a lower score than both of us I think on the electoral college he's definitely still the president
2: yeah, well, I technically had a higher score Is just um, the net minus four makes it lower. So I had 64 points, um, minus four is 60. I, I didn't have any jammy bench points either, unlike you guys. So I had Stuart Dallas with his eight points rooted to the bench, unfortunately, this week, having for some reason decided to play Walker Peters ahead of him, which is you know pretty stupid in, in hindsight. But otherwise, um, my transfers paid off massively. So I did um, Jota and um, KDB came in for uh, Zaha and Son. So... Uh, massive swing there 13 points uh captain de Bruyne as well so 20 points for him and uh and it was all about my midfield actually to be honest like no one else got any returns so de Bruyne got me 20 just uh the nine points Greedish um 10 apparently I think with free bonus Fernandez 10 all my forwards blanked and the defense and goal didn't do very, very much either Zuma picked up a five pointer but you know not as good as Chilwell's eights uh, but yeah I think 64 I think it's a green arrow just lurking outside that top 100k now so yeah um feeling quite happy and everything's looking pretty promising at the moment good season in your sights
1: right moving on to the market forces then and as you mentioned Nick uh, your strikes haven't been doing anything but it's not really uh, the strikers that are in prominence in the numbers is it so far
2: So, yeah, again, it's all about uh, Diego Jota, the most transferred in player this week with 200,000 transfers in, uh, looking very much in in form um, with four goals um, in five games. And again, he only cost 6.7 million, which is perhaps... um, You know, one of the highlights of him is going up again. So it might be 6.8 now, but 5.4 million saving on Mo Salah if you are looking to potentially try and cover Salah um, with his cheaper teammates. So he's um, certainly attracting a lot of attention in the market forces. Uh, Otherwise, we've got uh, Callum Wilson. Um, He's second most transferred in player with 117,000 transfers in. Time of recording. Um, Yep. Phil seems to fill that first uh, striker slot right now very nicely, especially considering, you know, very few forwards um, got any returns this game week. Um, he's now got seven goals and three assists. So uh, third highest forward going forward just behind Cavett Lewin and some excellent fixtures with Villa, West Brom, Leeds and Fulham up next. But um, I think we'll be talking a little bit more about forwards a little bit later on in the podcast. Otherwise, Mahrez, third most transferred in player, obviously got hat-trick at the weekend, 108,000 transfers in now, and Fulham at home up next. So a lot of people looking at him after that hat-trick. It would be a surprise to perhaps not see him start again, even though there's plenty of competition. I don't know what you think about Marez. Are you surprised to see him so heavily transferred in this week, considering the the rotation risk?
0: To be honest, no, I don't think he could be too surprised. Just obviously, given his results, I think you'll always see a pretty big swell in popularity for anyone who scores as many as he did over the weekend and of course with a good fixer coming up next you would expect him to be popular, Like he's such an easy price point there with such a high ceiling at 8.2 uh, James Ward-Prowse and Bruno Fernandes also popular transfers in in terms of midfielders uh, defenders wise it's basically the Chelsea defenders that are popular, Chilwell, Zuma James all in the top, th- uh, the top four with just Kyle Walker in there second in between them in terms of transfers out then, you're looking at uh, Wilfred Zaha leading that uh, with uh, Raul Jimenez unfortunately injured, get well soon, Hamás uh, Rodriguez and Lucas Dino all popular transfers out this week with fairly obvious replacements kind of coming in for all of those, Joe Gajata I guess being the most popular of the midfielders as we said.
2: Yeah, no, no surprises there, I guess, with the uh, injured players being heavily sold. Yeah, obviously, Jimenez, we wish him a speedy recovery. Um, FPL goes out the window when something horrific like that happens in the game. Um, Jay Rodriguez, or James Rodriguez, as he's more formally known, um, the most transferred out player who's not actually injured or suspended, um, with 130,000 transfers out, um, likes of Mane and Bamford also attracting heavily, heavy sales.
1: It's always interesting, isn't it? At the moment, I think we've had quite a lot of game weeks where there's been obvious transfer out. I think we've, apart from Hammers this week, four of the top five are all injured or suspended, right? As you said, and then in past weeks we've had a lot of kind of obvious moves to be made. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. People start making elective rather than enforced transfers once more. Let's move on to the main topic this week then, which is, uh, I guess, covering bases, representation, the dreaded cover, um, but, but not really about covering teams. It's really about covering the premiums. Uh, the kind of the key question this week is, can you cover all the bases in FPL? There's a limited amount of funds, but there's lots of representation to do. There's a plethora of options on offer at the upper end of the price scale, and trying to fit every, everybody in is the order of the day. As managers look through their team sheets, transfer screens, and agonise over, oh, who who should I get? How should my team set up? Oh, but if I get this guy, I can't get that guy in. Oh, it's a nightmare. And this week coming up, for example, City of Fulham are full at my home. Chelsea leads at home. Leicester have uh, first. Sheffield United. And in game week 12, things shift the other way around. Spurs of Palace, but Liverpool have Fulham that week. Leicester of Brighton. pain in the arse, try to fit everybody in that you can. So this week, we're going to be looking at quite a few of the premium players up there in the bracket. Players like Bruno asking the question, uh, can Jota cover uh, the likes of Salah and Mane? Uh, KDB, has he broken the, the uh, Pep Roulette? Kane and Son, what are we thinking about those guys? And so on and so forth. Let's start off with Bruno then, because I think this week he was one of those players that... I saw in the Twitter sphere a little bit, people had pegged as the route to City or Liverpool next week. A few people were recanting on, you know, their uh, uh, their choices, saying, oh, I can't sell him now. No way, I'm selling him. And obviously, if people did actually sell him for uh, for the likes of Salah or KDB, and you'd have evened out if you sold him on to KDB. But you know, after yet another return, another double-digit return away from home guys, I mean, Bruno surely one of those players whose consistency is just difficult to match, right?
0: This is the thing with Bruno, and I think I've, I haven't owned him so far this season. I, of course, owned him in Project Restart, but his, his form has been absolutely ridiculous. And it is, whilst you may write Manchester United off, and justifiably you could write Manchester United off, and I say that as a fan, and you could write them off against good teams and bad teams alike, and probably more so against bad teams. Southampton kind of falling into that in-between category of not knowing what to do with them. But the thing with Bruno is he is talisman theory writ large. He is just so... So, dependable. Helped by penalties, for sure, but not at all reliant on penalties either. He's a prolific shooter. In the last four game weeks, for example, he's, he's top in the last four across the whole entire division in any position. Second for shots on target, and even though so many of those shots come from outside the box, that's not a problem. He's just so good. He's 12 for XG in terms of non-pen in that period. did have one penalty as well in that period, but that doesn't matter he's fine. He's able to get the goals. He continues to get them. This isn't kind of one of these, oh, he's outperforming his XG and there's no way that he's going to continue this and he'll revert to the mean. We've had enough time now to see that he's just the sort of player that somehow manages to make it happen like the best players do. He's also, obviously, of course, he's able to produce the other side, 10th for chance to create it in that last four, uh, second for big chance to create it though. So, he's, just ridiculous we've seen other players in previous years do better in terms of both goal threat and creation threat but this year really there's nobody like Bruno who seems to be managing to keep the two going as prolifically and as consistently and that's what makes him just so so good and so whilst people were looking at selling him on Saturday morning before everything started I was looking at trying to bring him in and it was looking at the likes of Grealish out for example that can't happen so now I don't know what to do again but I think he's just a must own
1: yeah, I mean, I I saw and I think we said it a few times this season, or at least seen it a few times this season. People were kind of saying his price point is awkward at ten point five million. Now I think we can see that price point and call that a discount. Frankly, at kind of the the comparative sorts of players um, that he's up against, a really good uh, way of looking at Bruno that I uh, did indulge in. I looked at Bruno, how many points he scored from game twenty five last year the FPL up until now, um, so. Over that time, he's scored 191 points, 117 uh, points last season. Ridiculous 117 points last season between Game which 25 and 38 and 74 points in 1 and 10 this season. 63% of those points, by the way, 121 of them have come away from home. Just to put that in perspective, Salah over this time frame um, has scored 157 points, so 82% of Bruno's 191 points. Kevin De Bruyne he scored 132 points, so 69% of the Portuguese playmaker's points. I mean the consistency. In an FPOS asset like that is absolutely brilliant. That's exactly what we're looking for. And it's a bit counterintuitive as well. But Bruno looks like you're away, Captain Supreme, the double digit haul potential when he's away from home is just absolutely mental. But I mean that entire outcome um from game twenty five when he entered the game up until now just points to that ten point five, as I've said, looking like a hefty discount on next season's price, which is bound to be eleven point five or twelve if he continues at this level of velocity. Right, Nick? I mean, he's a player who's probably not gonna leave your side, is he?
2: See, this is the thing, and all of those numbers are absolutely excellent. So obviously, you know, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with both of you that he's he's a fantastic FPL asset. But the way, when I look at my team, and this is my team's perspective at least, I, I'm starting to question how we, I know this is this is basically the theme of the pod, but it's about how we can cover all bases. How can I fit Bruno in alongside De Bruyne and Mo Salah? And I feel like I'm going to, perhaps try and it's always a risky strategy to play a little bit of premium ping pong here because what I'm thinking about potentially doing is swapping Bruno out for one week not this week but the following week when he has Manchester City and Salah has Fulham because surely you know as much as Bruno is outscoring Salah um, over the past you know 20 or 25 game weeks went for the the period was like in terms of the underlying stats I still feel like Salah he's he's the one to own out of all all the midfielders you know Br- Bruno has created more chances five more but Salah's had the uh, the greater goal threat in fact um, in terms of shots inside the box Salah's had 27 and Bruno's only had 12 so Salah's actually had more than double the shots inside the box this particular campaign and I don't really want to go without owning Mo Salah against Fulham in the, in game week 12 and the way I see it I can bring in Salah for Bruno and perhaps the following week I can swap out someone else maybe even swap Salah straight out again because he's got spurs and bring Bruno back in for Sheffield oh, United. God,
1: what's happened to you? <laughs> who are you? What we done with Nick? That's ridiculous. I, I did like the I did the monocle emoji in real life. Then that's ridiculous.
2: Um, it's, 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 <laughs> it's a strategy. It's like we've we've boomeranged a few times in the past. I think boom, it is.
1: old boomerang. Yeah.
2: I think it's, it's a potential strategy. I don't see the harm in it. It's, it's worked yeah, so far uh, in terms uh, of absolutely. taking Salah out it's, last week. And, it's a uh, very
1: unused strategy, though. That's why I'm a bit concerned about for your health and general well-being. Dear me, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think that kind of uh, well. I, I think we can all agree that Bruno is a good asset. But it, it sounds like um, in some ways you're seeing him as a bit disposable there, um, which is quite quite an interesting take. I mean, uh, for me, he's um, probably one of his players that I until he does. Uh, succumb to some sort of injury or some sort of rotation threat which i completely doubt it looks like he's got that kind of free roam role and bdb when he gets in he looks like he's kind of playing a more defined field position so bruno can do whatever the hell he wants it's always an injury like he just looks like he can shit house points from anywhere basically i mean i, I, I just can't see a way at the moment that i'd be looking to get rid of him i'm surely surely his price is only going to go up but I, I, you know i i'm not too sure about that have we swapped
2: roles nick Except without the FPL outcomes for me, <laughs> is that, is that uh, This is this is the problem. Like, are you saying that you're going to go without Salah? Then is that your is that what you're saying? Well, for I, that I
1: mean, week th- this moves us nicely onto uh, <laughs> does Jota cover Salah or Mane? Because for me, I'd be looking at what what's happened from you and Jota right now, don't you? And like, over the last four game weeks, um, Jota is the fifth highest scoring player, um, equal with Dominic Calvillo, and. Uh, Lurice, um on 28 points. He's second with shots in the box and his fifth for non-pin XG. But the importance of the business end, isn't it? So four goals in five league games. And rocks are up in price from 6.3 when we start when he started scoring game week six, um, all the way up to 6.8 now. 25% ownership, top market forces. That's only going to rise. I mean, with him, is it a case of Casuals catching the worm? Like there was lots of uncertainty expressed about Jota, but. Maybe there's a hangover of his balls days when we, not, we weren't too sure about him. But the reality is, he's a seven sub 7 million player, uh, attacking player who plays for the league champions. There's like, lots of less engaged managers would have, would have grabbed him about a fort that week. Should we have done the same? Uh, probably, yeah. Um, but can he, I guess the judgment is, can he um, then cover the likes of Salah and Mane, especially in that sort of um, you know, Fulham game? I think we've all agreed, well, we on the podcast have agreed that Salah's probably. The, the superior assets, are Mane unless you're an Adam Hopcroft um, but the question then becomes can Jota be a cover for Salah like for me I don't know if my strategy is feeling like it because I want to keep the likes of Bruno, I want to keep KDB we'll speak about it in a minute, probably want to keep um, a few other players involved as well I might have to hope that Jota does the job against Fulham um, but yeah it's definitely tough, uh, what do you think Anthony on that?
0: So it's we're not that many weeks on from when we recorded our supporting cast episode, and I think uh, something that we talked about, and that was you know, maybe don't force somebody to be a supporting cast member just you know because it might fit the team structure. Yeah. And I think when it comes to someone like uh, Jota, the fact of the matter is, is that like you can get him in alongside your Salah, and so I think you're, it's overcomplicating it to try and you know have him cover. It kind of reminds me a bit of the the Pedro Hazard thing, except, you know, he's actually really, really good and might score as many as them. But at the same <laughs> yeah. time, you know, get, get them both in. Why not? I, I know. Like, 6.8 now. You know, 6.8. But and... in, that, in
1: that scenario, you, you already have Salah and you're buying Jota in. in. In my case, I've got no Liverpool at the moment. So buying Salah is a huge imposition on one hand. Uh, finding the funds to buy him in in the context of other players being there. And like Jota's something easier to pull into my team. You see, the Therefore, thing is, Tom,
0: is this sort of overcomplicating the sort of reason why less engaged managers are doing, you know, so well this year? Because they just go, "Oh, he's doing well. Just put him in." And like, if it costs well, exactly. minus four, for, so be it. It's it's well, exactly that's bad, why I'd be buying you
1: know? Jota over Salah <laughs> at the moment because but, he's but not just both in
0: because you're like, God, that Salah guy, he scored a lot before.
1: But what if K- yeah. KDB, who would go for him, has, has recently smashed it?
0: And this is why we have this segment, because that KDB guy, he scored a lot before, and he looks so good on match of the day. And Man City are back, you know, so says everybody now after one win. But, okay, yeah, Jota, unbelievable in terms of his goals and starts, like three goals in four starts so far this season. Obviously, five goals in total in the league, also particularly good for him in Europe. So seems like a very dependable asset. The sort of role that he has in that Liverpool team is it's akin to Salah and Mane in terms of the amount of shooting he can do. In fact, he's done much more of it in the last few weeks, even though he's played less higher uh, open play XG than both Salah and Mane over the last four games, even though he's played about a half less of football. Uh, now, that said, you could point to the fact that Salah and Mane have both had offside goals and that would totally change things. And you could also say that Salah has penalties and, that, and there's no Milner around anymore, so there's no worries about duties. So you could say that Salah is a better asset in that sense. But all the same, Nick, do you not think that it's just over, you already own Jota, so maybe you're even more likely to agree. It's just overcomplicating things to try and not have him.
2: Well, that's that's why I've, I've come up with this fail-safe plan of my own, where I I own both, and I also own Bruno for for certain periods. So, I mean, yeah. In in terms of Jota and his performances in, in sort of the last five game weeks, when he sort of entered the team, his his underlying stats have been excellent, and they have been matching um, Salah or even actually bettering, really, because even though Salah's played four games, Jota's played five. So, it's not a direct comparison. Jota's scored twice as many goals as Salah has. He's had more goal attempts with 12 compared to Salah's 10. More of those have been inside the box. In terms of sort of minutes per chance for Jota, it's it's 31, and for Salah, it's 33.3. So, you know, they're very, very comparable you know obviously Salah's got the pedigree to a certain extent Jota you know we we, we kind of wrote him off a little bit when he signed for Liverpool many managers many people did because they saw the 40 million price tag thinking what the hell you know this guy's never really delivered for, for Wolves in the Premier yeah, League they, they
0: also saw plenty of guilt-edged, chance, guilt-edged chances going and begging while he was at Wolves as well yeah. you know it's, it's pretty remarkable the sort of conversion rate he's come up with this season compared to what we've seen by one or two fits and starts while he was at Wolves.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he's he's um, in form. It's only been f- five or six games, so it's, it's early days. But, you know, he, he's um, he's broken his way into that um, Liverpool team as well. So he, he's going to be starting week in, week out at the moment if he continues to score. So I certainly think he, he, he is an excellent FPL asset right now, um, especially if you are looking at not having Mo Salah or not having Sadio Mane but I don't know which is the, the Tom strategy I think for me it's just I think I can I think I can get away with getting Salah in Fulham and then swapping him back out again so that's why I'm thinking I, I really want Salah for Fulham mm. I took the risk without and for this week against Fulham paid off but I don't think I'm going to do the same for, for Salah.
1: No, I, I could actually follow that strategy um, because I'm looking to roll this week and I think that that it could happen. I could, I could do it. I'm a little bit. It kind of goes against all of the all the kind of teachings of caution ingrained in me by the likes of managers like you, Nick, or the the, the the artist formerly known as Nick. I should probably say at this point. Um, but you know, I, I can see where you're coming from. with That strategy, and I'm, I'm, you're you're laughing at us. Are you are laughing at us with disdain.
0: No, I just find the whole thing funny. It's 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 just watching this role reversal. It's quite something as someone who's listened to the pod for quite a while. That's all.
1: I don't know what's happened i'm boring and crap at fpl whereas nick has become interesting and good at fpl christ things really have changed this is 2020 in a moment
0: uh, is is nick out hipstering you as well now with the beard
1: i don't think i i don't think i ever tried to be hipster i think i was always just original <laughs> original without being hipster um, But yeah okay well it sounds like we're a little bit we're a little bit skeptical with a um, Salah can be covered by Jota but we are have in an interesting stage aren't we with Salah at the moment where obviously there was a lot of re- there are a lot of removals with the COVID situation whereas um, a good proportion of the game don't have Salah at the moment and obviously kind of people are maneuvering to try to get him in as Nick's just reflected and as I'm reflected trying to find a way to cover him I mean Anthony you've got Salah at the moment haven't you? I do and, indeed. I mean can you see kind of a world where people were kind of saying well okay well at least I can cover Salah at the moment is, is it fixtures what, what is it that's kind of made it that people have uh, seems to be a little more comfortable about Salah right now
0: what's made them do it I'm, I'm gonna just say that it was just a, a matter of you know Liverpool starting okay Salah starting particularly well with his hat-trick or whatever but Liverpool themselves starting slowly and people just felt that there was fixtures that they could chase down elsewhere that in spite of the fact that Salah had what five goals within the first four game weeks they just went chasing points elsewhere it's the far away hills are greener aspect and I don't think there was much more to it than that but I think like myself with Bruno Fernandes and not owning him in spite of what we saw in project restart and in spite of what we've seen over the, let's say the first 10 weeks of the season but I probably should have seen enough in the first five to you know not continue to go without him sometimes you just kind of get tied up in other moves and there have been other moves to make with let's say the people who did uh, San in out in that it just made life a little bit difficult to make that transfer and just never got around to it and now all of a sudden with a game like Fulham coming up which of course we have seen can be deceptive with the Leicester game although I do think that Liverpool are much more likely to pile on the punishment than Leicester were Uh, is kind of a certain need to get them that they just didn't have before.
1: Yeah, I mean, Liverpool have certainly overtaken or well, taken Man City's mantle in terms of being an attacking team or the attacking team this season so far. Um, it really is astonishing, actually, Man City's uh, drop off this year. And obviously we move on to Kevin De Bruyne in just a second because of this
0: underlying stats wise over the course of this season they have been the more reliable let's say attacking yeah. team of the big six but at the same time they've scored more than two goals three times so far this year so like we're not talking about a team that's like walking over the opposition i think that's just generally a trend that we've seen this year um is isn't
1: it? yeah
0: but it's but it's kind of that likely man talisman concept complex that you have with Salah that you can't not have him and as well there's always the penalties and (laughs) with that in mind you kind of you know that you're only ever you know very you're always just a few minutes away from a massive Salah hall. if Salah scored you had that offside goal uh, given at the weekend it was offside not trying for that to happen but if he had had that given this would be a very different conversation
1: no absolutely I mean you it's almost the case there's almost like a Salah rule if you don't own him that you're probably at most two game weeks away from being massively punished by not owning Mo Salah because all of the data is in his favour <laughs> that eventually you get to a point of the terminal velocity where you can't dodge it anymore uh, interesting and uh, but, but just to kind of move us on to, to a similar guy um who last year at least looked like he was going to be able to and indeed did uh, uh, dethrone uh, Mo Salah is it, uh, Kevin De Bruyne um, so I mean we obviously were looking at Man City this year as we did at the start of every year thinking oh god you know what's going on obviously it was a blank in game week one and uh, it kind of was convenient for us to forget all about them um, but game week three game week four we're all in a couple of adverse results and we've only now really kind of started to get back into the City groove and um, a very good question by our friend Elf. He asked us, has anyone else noticed it's really tricky to predict which players Pep Guardiola is going to start Manchester City? Obviously, ironically. <laughs> but but um, it, I think that there is probably one tonic to this. And I think that something that is kind of understated actually, or at least um, has, has gone unsaid, which is that I think Kevin De Bruyne is the antidote for Pep Roulette. Um, I looked at his appearance data for last season. And last season, out of 38 potential games, obviously, he started 32 of them. Uh, Came off the bench three times and only didn't play three. Um, And he actually got the full 90 minutes on 69% of occasions. And of the entire time that he could have played, he got 58% full 90s. Um, So, yeah, um, it's pretty good. Um, He's a sort of player who's going to be starting 84% of the time. Um, he's the sort of player who starts 84% of the time for Pep, the linchpin of that team, and, and maybe a player like De Bruyne, of uh, 36 gold involvements last season, don't forget, um, is one of those players who, once Man City get into the groove, is going to be a player who we should all own, right? I mean, we all own him. You guys both captained him this week. and Would you be saying to everybody... It's time for it's time for De Bruyne, especially ahead of Fulham at home. Despite what they did uh, against the Leicester tonight.
2: I would have said as I got him last week for the for the Burnley home match. I, f- I feel like that was like the perfect time to to jump on board City, as that was the start of their their fixture shift. And with the ten points, I think he could have even got. More returns, and you know, he could have easily scored more than 10 points in that particular game just picking up those couple of assists. Um, as and as we said, you know, there's this whole rotation issue with City, but Pep, um, with De Bruyne, he feels like the one player that won't get uh, rotated. And you know, looking at City's calendar and looking at where they are in the Champions League, for instance, they're 12 points from. Uh, four games, so if uh, De Bruyne is tired, and that's the only issue that he might miss out would be fatigue, just because of the sheer amount of fixtures that city have i I could see him potentially missing one of those champions League games where they're basically nailed on um, to finish top of their group and and to qualify into the next round so that would be the chance that he would get to rest because he's so critical to the city team isn't he you know um i did look at what pep had said about him recently as well um he said it's not about rest i saw he was a little exhausted mentally. Right now, I use the players who are in better conditions or more focused. If the players think they have been rested because I am rotating, they have made a big mistake. I think from that, it's pretty clear that you know for De Bruyne, it's it's all about playing him when he is fit and and playing him as much as possible. And uh, there's no real physical exhaustion; it's just a, a mental exhaustion because he ha- is trying to you know carry the team and you know some of the results recently haven't been too great and he, he looks a little bit frustrated i guess on the pitch and to a certain extent as well
1: pre-restart last year so the game with 129 178 points 6.13 points per game post-restart a ridiculous 9.13 points per game but has he kept up this year looking at the data uh no no he hasn't uh 39 points he scored so far equal to the likes of bednarek um yeah, and outscored by luminaries such as Gabrielle, Mings and WBA's keeper, Johnston. But he's missed games and says he have not been in gear. And we definitely are um, signs of recovery. As recently as game week seven, uh, their 10 goals was an, un- was an overperformance. Now it's a little bit better. Um, they've got uh, XG a 15.6, 15 goals scored, their ninth in the XG metrics now. But what's really interesting is still the contrast last season. So obviously there's a game less played, Um but last season, at this point, their xG was thirty-one point zero seven. They'd scored thirty-two goals. This season, they scored fifteen. In 2018-19, their xG was twenty-seven point eight scored twenty-seven goals. This season, again, they've scored just fifteen. It's a very anemic start for City. And I think the big loss, the big loss, has been uh, Kun Aguero. Um, six goals in eighteen nineteen, the first ten. Eight last year in the first ten. And Nick mentioned that David Silver a couple of weeks ago as well, being the, the one of the other kind of main misses for them obviously doing bits at the moment uh, for our dad. um but this year it has been the defense which has been the main point which is why i went for the Cancelo and diaz um on uh on my wild card they've had the fewer shots conceded they the third threats you see and boring boring diaz for example is the man there but i mean kdb i guess is the way to buy into that attack because there's just so much uh mix and rotation, right, Anthony. There's no other way to to really go there. I mean, looking at players like Mares, you've got to look at them and think, I might do a throw on this actually because they did look at his data, but we're not going to do it in here. Um but some player like Mares is so feast or famine, you need the consistency for FPL, don't you?
0: Yeah, this is the thing, and I, I think as well uh, maybe an aspect that's a little bit overlooked with uh, Man City so far this year is just, I think a, a, this is something you'll hear commentators talk about quite a bit, is that a malaise sets in with Pep's methods at a club after a while, and players just stop responding to them, they just become you know too mentally fatigued from it, whatever. And you'd have to wonder if that was starting to affect the squad. I think people were quite surprised to see that he'd extended his contract. And he's going to stay for another few years. He's at the lo- this is the longest he's ever been at a single club, Pep. So we have definitely seen a marked change in Pep's quotes post game. Like he was you'd rarely see him be as strong and fervent about the fact that he picked he did not try to rotate. He picked the best players that were in form and they were in the, had the right attitude, etc. It was a very, very different approach to talking about team selection to what we're used to. Usually, there's uh, a sense of, oh, we have big game coming up and everyone's tired and it's all awful. But no, that's, that wasn't the case at all. It was a really, really different thing. But as you say, KDB, no matter what, integral to it if they can. Fortunately, City are seem to be marching through in the Champions League. They're already through, they can secure first against Porto, and I don't think KDB will even need to play it this week. So, in a good position in that sense to just keep KDB ticking over in the league because it's important that he does. Um, Because he is, if you, just from the eye test, he's the one that makes them tick. He's dangerous. He gets the ball to players in terms of let's say Maris stole the show against Burnley, but still, KDB was second in terms of shots, and he was second in terms of chance created both to Maris. But Really, you know, he's just always there knitting everything together, assisting the assister, etc. In the last six, for example, he's 16th in the league for shots. That's third overall. The mad thing is only two of those have been on target. And for another player, we would think, oh, you know, get rid, you know, everything's wrong. His XG OP in the last, his XG from open play over the last four, it's just 0.57. The stats are against him. You You could argue he's even over trying, but you don't feel that when you actually watch the games. He's hit the post, he's been close, he's been unlucky. There's been an awful lot of blocked shots as well, for example. He's creating away all the time. He's kind of different. There's a bit of a Bruno Fernandes-esque thing to him that maybe you can ignore the stats to some extent and just know that if City are purring, KTB is going to be ticking along nicely. And when they score five, two have only got two returns in that. It seemed actually quite small and you felt quite unfortunate that they hadn't got an awful lot more. So just look, overall, I think KDB, if City are going to be on form and the fixtures suggest they should be, is pretty inter- integral to that and should probably be a part of your team.
1: And we were on him, so probably that is true.
0: <laughs> Way.
1: Way, indeed. <laughs> and then I think the, um, the the final thing here, I mean, obviously, because we've got a body, um, let have a few good games. And it's obviously one of those players you could fit in very nicely. Uh, luckily, the Chelsea players just about fall out of this, luckily in terms of time, rather than luckily in terms of uh, not being interesting. For example, ZH uttered BS. <laughs> last, two, last two games, uh, four-chance created, not put them 7 xa Identical stats to James McCarthy. Um, but I think the next thing to speak about a bit, is... A
0: bit Dusan Tadic,
1: dare I say. A, a little bit. I don't know who said that.
0: Huh. Uh,
1: sounds like a ghost of Christmas past. Um, but I think the, the, the thing to talk about um, quickly is the Spurs players. So obviously, a lot of people will be sitting there with one or maybe even two um, of the uh, Son and Kane are still lingering on. Uh, I saw a really good point today um, by our friend Alan, the uh, desperately can do he said, "But you know, if you, if you've held." came for this long you know you've held him through man city you've held him through chelsea surely it's the point now where you I mean, obviously he has fallen 0.1 but if you've bought him a little while you've had him there you've had him ticking over surely with Vardy just getting an assist and he was the last sort of exit point today against fulham you must just hold on to came right what are you going to do um what would you be doing nick if you were holding
2: on to one or both of these players you've both got some coverage i'm interested to see what your views are I mean, I haven't really had much of an opportunity to to jump off, to be honest, without taking hits. And I just didn't really see it worth taking the minus eight this week anyway, at least to bring in Vardy. i have ended up um, net minus one from that move. So I kind of got away with it. I just... It just didn't really sit with me. I think I was already getting rid of Son and I I kind of thought, you know, take both out on a minus eight. That's that's, that's beyond my risk profile, even even the new me who takes risks with my moves and um, goes for ambitious um, strategies. Uh, Yeah, that that was beyond me. So I decided to keep Kane. I've seen him put some decent performances against Chelsea before. We always seem um, egged up for those London derbies. So I, I kind of fancy that's to potentially um, sh- show a little bit more than perhaps what we did going forward. Because against Man City and Chelsea, Kane's only actually had one um, goal attempt. And uh, Sons only had two goal attempts during those two games. But all of them outside the box as well. So uh, not... Particularly exciting for Spurs from an attacking perspective in those games, but that was kind of how uh, Jose Marino uh, clearly set up to play, um, digging deep and uh, got the results that he he wanted ultimately from those games as well. Four points, we should be very happy as, as Spurs fans in
0: terms of where we are in the league. But yeah, worth, right. worth worth mentioning as well, though the fact that you know Chelsea certainly set out to avoid conceding any goals as well. Like Frank Lampard has definitely taken yeah, on board criticisms that they have been a bit leaky especially in big games and he really tightened up as a consequence of that and City as Tom has noted probably the best defense in the league and statistically are the best defense in the league so with that in mind you know you can't hold those against them what you could hold against them is the fact that Kane wasn't exactly prolific or in terms of shots against the likes of Brighton West Brom Burnley before that and that's maybe the one what I'd like to kind of hear from you about Nick
2: well, yeah, I mean, in terms of the goal attempts, he, he, I think over the course of the season, I think he was only second to uh, to Bamford. Last time I checked for goal attempts, that might be an out-to-date stat. But um, it's more kind of the assist that Kane has brought to his game that's been super impressive this season. I think he's he's been obviously been watching he's a big fan of nfl and he's obviously been watching a lot of um, quarterbacks for you know throwing the ball from distance and and the man and then on the end running onto it because that's essentially what he's doing he's, he's playing so deep and he'll do the through balls towards Son, and, and Son will get on the end of those chances and score and that's why and that's really what has made kane this, this such such an amazing sort of fpo asset this season isn't it all these assists that he's come up with as well so he's had nine assists which is just ridiculous so far and he's also still had seven goals um you know he's obviously on penalties as well which um, will increase his goal threat so from that perspective I think he's he's still a great FPL asset you mentioned you know the Brighton West Brom games but he did score against them so you know he's still got returns there as well um you know Spurs have Arsenal up next it, I mean, I, I can understand why managers perhaps still might be looking to sell, especially if they're trying to fit in, you know, those midfielders, which probably right now are looking like better FPL assets than Kane, um, partly because of the positioning as well. But, I, I you know, there, there are flexibility. You could you talk about, like, downgrading Kane to Wilson or something to bring in an extra midfielder. But I think it just pretty much depends on your your team. And I, I can understand why some managers might decide to go without Spurs now.
0: Yeah, this is the thing. Like, I was stirring with you there a bit ago just to bring up the Brighton and West Brom games, because the fact of the matter is that the stats have been poor over the last four. And that's obviously including, as you say, the city games, and the Chelsea games, he's had just 10 shots in that period. Hassan had six, so even less again, that means that Kane 39th for XG from open play, which is the same as George Baldock. So, you know, it's, it's quite poor in that sense, but the fact of the matter is, is with Kane, he's the likely man. And we've talked about Talisman before. He certainly personifies that. You could say Son does too, but continue with me. As so, um, Kane certainly personifies that. And look, if if Spurs want to win the league, and they certainly do want to win the league, and they have the facilities to do that, they need to be able to win games against underperforming sides like Arsenal. It's Palace, then it's Liverpool. That could be a tight game, but really all the rest of the games that are coming up, you would expect Spurs to be able to get one or two. And you would think that Kane is more than likely to be part of, you know, at least half of those, and there's always the penalties on the end there ready to make any score a haul. And with that in mind, when you've got a player with his finishing, and he's, he's on form, yeah, I think I called him one of the most informed players in Europe over the last two pods, and I, I agree with that. Like he, he, he continues to kind of confound expectation in terms of both goal threat and creativity.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you, and I think that um, obviously after those tough fixtures have abated. Suddenly he becomes on the menu, doesn't he? Especially over Christmas, where we all have King, we all know Is Christmas.
0: Arsenal a tough fixture for him? Tom, no, I, I, don't, no I don't fan. think so. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm, t- I'm talking about the Liverpool fixture actually, um, okay. and maybe the Leicester fixture to some extent. Um, but you know, you've got an eye, you've got to have an eye on the fact that over that mm-hmm. that kind of uh, the 15 to 17, where the games are obviously quite bunched up. Wolves away is obviously not fantastic, obviously not fantastic uh, but uh, the 30th of December against Fulham at home and, and the 2nd of January against Leeds at home, I mean, the 16th and in particular, those are captionable games for Kane and those are kind of the games where I'd be looking to bring him back in and as you said, kind of, he is, what is still in form, he's still able to, he still inhabits that sort of talisman role and he has the x Mins. So he's going to be playing the majority of the minutes, if not all the minutes for Mourinho during that time period. Yeah, I mean, but I still—I still i still don't own either of them. And uh, to move us on to the end of the section, um, those are the ones who do miss out for me still, um, just because the fixtures for the short term are still probably not ones that I want to buy into. So if you own these players, it's a don't buy, don't sell. Um, but for me, I'm looking at their fixture list and thinking, as I mentioned, that Fulham and Leeds uh, double up. Um, those are the two games, to and 17, and then we want Spurs back. As it is, I'm hoping the players that I do have cover I'm hoping that that continues on. And the other big miss at the moment is Liverpool, as we spoke about earlier on. I think mean, Jota is going to be the way I go to try to help me cover all the bases because as it stands, I have De Bruyne, I have uh, Bruno Fernandes, um, I've got kind of the staples like Grealish. I do have Ziyech at the moment. Uh, um, I've got Vardy up front um, as well as uh, you know Calvert-Lewin. Now, these are all players who are going to be kind of those hygiene factors in our teams. Um, and the risk is that obviously those players will look a bit immovable at the moment as it stands, which means that if Salah becomes a must-stone and I've got to follow a Nick type strategy of doing a, the merry-go-round, the hokey-cokey to bring him in. I mean, one way to mitigate it might be that I pair to with Robertson and try to make that work in terms of covering the points from Liverpool. So, um, I mean, you guys both own Spurs players and presumably you know, things are going on. Anthony, you're looking for a way to fit in Bruno. Is it still him that misses out for you? What, what, how are you approaching all
0: this? This is the thing, Tom. I, I'm trying to build a team that has Kane, De Bruyne, Salah, and Bruno. And it may mean that <laughs> Jota, the most affordable of all of them, is the one to miss out as I continue to just overstretch myself uh, to get all these players in. Uh, it, it It's becoming a more and more tenuous and impossible strategy to try and chase, but that's where I continue to be. I just... Maybe I just can't bear FOMO, and maybe that's my the the real issue at the heart of my season here. But realistically, I just feel that covering my bases and continuing to try to just not miss the big points and to get my captaincies right might well be the strategy that carries me through this. I don't want to depend on any one team because I I I feel that that won't necessarily go well. It didn't go well for me when I depended on Liverpool double up previously this year. I've I think I may have had a City double up at the start of the season um, or quite close after I wildcarded and that wasn't necessarily the best idea. I never had the Spurs double up and that would have been great when it was going well. But at the same time, I think just trying to spread myself out and trying to get things right is probably the easiest way to avoid misery.
2: Yeah, I kind of prefer this this sort of version of FPL, at least, where there isn't such a strong set template and you kind of have to take a, a few, I know this sounds like a new me again, We have to take a few risks, a few gambles here and there with um, players that you, you, you don't hone and you know, there's a bit of a danger for it. I think this, this week I felt particularly exposed, actually, just because I, I didn't have Vardy, I didn't have Salah or Mane, I didn't have Werner or Cech, or I didn't have you know sterling or or jesus even from man city and you know i was going into the week without de Bruyne or or Jota as well so i was feeling very very exposed in that regards and i'm thinking about you know the upcoming weeks and how i do try and mitigate the risk for the the next few weeks and you know as, as we kind of discussed Jota could potentially he could cover Salah to a certain extent. He could try and be the Riker um, for those weeks, but I'm I'm not sure if I'm, I want to take that gamble. I, I took the gamble with, with Vardy this week, but I think with Salah, you know, he's just, with Ful- Fulham away, it just, it just feels like you're, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot, not owning him. That's, that's, that's my danger here. And I think, you know, many managers perhaps would have looked at City this week and De Bruyne and, and, and looked at the ownership as well and thought actually I'm not too scared about De Bruyne because his ownership is low problem is that ownership is increasing and increasing right now so there's going to be another 300,000 odd um, engaged managers to own him I think he was at five percent at one point now he's up to 20 percent ownership so the longer you leave it not owning a guy like this as well it, it becomes more and more dangerous and, I was also looking at Son as well this week. His ownership was still very scary at 57.5%. So a lot of that is Ed's teams, but he's another one perhaps to, you know, I quite like the fact that I've still got Kane in my team. that I can cover Spurs with Kane. I don't, they're certainly not the case of both right now, Um, even though they've got past a couple of those tougher fixtures, but I do like the idea of hanging on to, hanging on to one of them and, and like like yourself Anthony and, and yourself as well to a certain extent Tom I, I want to try and cover them all and that's why I'm, I'm thinking if, if I have to maybe take a minus four um, you know do a bit of premium ping pong then that will be the strategy so I can cover the best players for the best fixtures as much as possible over the next sort of five to six game weeks
1: hmm. there you have it people Premium ping pong, the way to deal with everything, because otherwise you can't catch them all. You can never be an Ash Ketchum. All right, let's uh, move on to the
2: correspondence and QA after this quick break.
1: Who got the assist? Who got the assist?
2: So we're back and it's time to catch up with the Who Got This assist Mini League. If you want to join the league, the code is CPSUOF. So I'll do a quick rundown of the top five again. Um, in fifth, it's Zaki Shane with the Zakaria team. Uh, 67 points for him this week. In fourth, it's Graham Sesums HK10 for Golden Boots uh, with 62 points. Then um, it's the Zakaria Mokrai, uh, Zaki team too. Seems, seems a bit familiar that... Um, 44 points, though, this week for, for Zaki Team 2. Um, in second, it was Borisov uh I'm not going to try and say his team name um, with 52 points. And um, in first, it's David Izzett. He He's risen to the top of the league with Hest-Wham untied with a Excellent, seventy-one points this this game week. It's just just a ridiculous score, isn't it? Um, and overall rank ninety-six now. So uh, Ooh, very David's good. having a, an amazing season um, this this season. He's got Wilson, of course, and Grealish, and Captain Fernandez, Chilwell, and Jota, all the key men. So uh, uh, well done, David. That's excellent. Yeah, well,
1: David, yeah, door open to a uh, potentially winning it from here, I suppose. Right, uh, let's move on to the correspondence then, the thing that makes an Irish man squeal. Uh, Yep, it's the correspondence section. And uh, to introduce it and to get overly excited at reading out, it's Anthony. And this week, it's uh, one that's been on the back burner for a while, isn't it?
0: Yeah, we've we got this one. I'm going to read it all in a monotone now. No, we, we got this one about a, a month ago, so we only just got around to it. Uh, the correspondence section is, of course, your chance to share your thoughts on the goings-on in FPL, to put your own addendum to a previous show topic, or share whatever else is on your mind, from poetry to a drawn-out comparison between Arsenal's season and the Titanic. Uh, this week's email is from Tom, who's at FPL underscore sponge on Twitter. Hi, Anthony, Tom, and Nick. Only writing this to make Anthony happy and save this section on the pod, but a topic recently on my mind, which I think is undervalued in the FPL community, is the impact of team playing styles on their perceived fixture difficulty ratings and therefore expected FPL points. Often, fixtures are seen as easy on paper, but turn out to be a banana skin in reality, or vice versa and delivered unexpected points. A common example of this is the high-performing counter-attacking team up against a bottom half side who can park the boss effectively, i.e. Spurs' one-all draw with Newcastle in Game Week 3. Or the flip flip side, a team who can unlock defences and perform well with lots of possession, but struggle when opponents don't sit back and defend, i.e. Man City, one-all against Leeds in Game Week 4. The same principle can be applied to individual players, like Hazard when he was out in the left wing versus uh, dodgy right backs, or the less obvious team playing styles where a team puts a lot of crosses into the box to score headers or teams who concede the most headed chances. In summary, should FPL managers consider team playing styles more when assessing fixture difficulties and look to target specific matchups for captaincy? Many thanks, FPL Sponge. Nicholas?
2: Um, Yeah, so I would say 100% these types of things need to be factored into your decision making as um, the sort of the uh, commentary uh, said we obviously quite stats uh, driven pods but you know it's not always about the stats you, you have to look at what's actually happening in, on the pitch whether it's the managers of the particular clubs or the, the managers of, of the opponents how they're going to um Tackle the game um, And often it also depends A little bit on You know The, the form of the opponents For instance If you're, you're playing A lower reaches team That seems to be fit, Playing with a lot of confidence Playing fast flowing Attacking football Then you, you might fancy You know Your premium assets Against them Compared to Some of these teams That we we know Traditionally Shut up shop You know you, you got your likes of Burnley to so likes sort of Newcastles and under, under Steve Bruce, um, you know, the likes of West Brom. And we talked about West Brom a little bit earlier um, when Harry Kane and Spurs played against them. And um, and just as a sort of a Spurs fan. I, I found that incredibly frustrating watch. Um, they only got a goal quite, quite late in the game. And it was just like 10 men behind the ball. It was very turgid. It was unattractive, unexciting football. And, um, you know, to, to think about when you're targeting a, a you know, a player that's playing West Brom. And I'm guilty of this to a certain extent because I've captained my players against West Brom three times this season. You know, you should be factoring in the fact that your players are going to struggle to break break through this team just because they're not going to be pressing forward, they're not going to be attacking. In comparison, you know, someone like Southampton who obviously we saw Spurs demolish earlier in the season because they did have that high line that was highlighted. Um, You you might fancy your assets a little bit more against them because they are going to, you know, it seems to be more Hassan Hussle's um, style of management that he does um, get them to play aggressive pressing play, trying to move forward, you know, distribute down the lines, that sort of thing. So I, I think certainly that is something you need to factor in. And it's also, it's not always the worst teams. We've talked about Jamie Vardy many times on this podcast, how, he likes Manchester City. He loves to play against Manchester City, and he inevitably always seems to return against them as well because they always attack the ball. And Jamie Vardy just waits on the edge of that, you know, final defender, and some will, he'll get a few, he'll get a couple of through balls for sure. You know, he will like every time he plays them, and and inevitably he will, you know, have a couple of chances against them compared to perhaps other teams which will perhaps man mark him a little bit closer or or not, you know, have the defenders play forward. And he can't, he can't play that classic Leicester counter strategy that we've all kind of known to love. Oh, definitely, I think that's a really good point, actually, because obviously we do
1: often look at stats and say that that's kind of the main way we derive insight into what's going on. But as Nick's saying, those situations are just so important in order to kind of look at the differences between games and really assess what... Maybe the potential of the outcome in terms of those matchups. It's a great point on Vardy, and I think I completely misappropriated that. Actually, made a big mistake in uh, captaining him versus Liverpool. Um, maybe some hindsight there to some extent, um, but maybe I did kind of think, yeah, okay, against 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 Man City, he has he had a lot, of sp- he had that sort of uh, ability to play off the shoulder, exploit the space, and score goals. And I was hoping that would happen against Liverpool, um, but it seems that like Kopp didn't fall into that error. Um, but equally, you know, that week I avoided Bruno versus West Brom because I thought. You know, he West Brom would play the low block and they frustrate United United that aren't the sort of team who are going to be able to uh, make inroads against a, a, a team playing like that. And I was almost right. It took a retaken penalty um, to prove me wrong. Um, but it's just one of those things, isn't it? Where I, I think it is very, very important to look at, look at those sort of things like the counter-attack potential. As uh, Tom mentioned, you know, Son against Southampton, a fantastic example. I think probably my biggest bugbear one of my biggest bugbears in FPL, is the FDR scale, um, which is awful. And that often is the way in which people do take as a shorthand for assessing fish difficulty. Um, Because, I mean, FDR is a five-point scale in which the one is almost always redundant and the five is... Most of the time, redundant, so as not to offend people, effectively. So you end up with a four-point or basically a three-point scale, which is useless, and the points are just silly too, but They Lack nuance. It's a blunt instrument trying to tell you something which is quite complex, which is how much does this fixture suit one team versus another. Um, so I you know I glanced ahead um, to uh, to next uh, to the next couple of weeks. Um, I spotted that this week going on, for example, Man City is a two. A uh, home to Fulham. Okay, Fulham have just managed to beat uh, Leicester, but that too is the same as the two given for Villa, who are playing Burnley. Those two games. Okay, the the outcome may be you know to some extent similar, but the games aren't quite comparable because you've got one team which is you know, massively superior to the other no offense Costages, but i'm sure you know that um versus v- villa and burnley i don't think that that is a two for villa because of burnley's uh, the record of defending very very well so it means it's very important to suss out that sort of extra context surrounding those sorts of games we always say that stats are part of not the full picture and um, and in terms of captaincy as well you do want it to ideally be the highest scoring game of that game week, don't you? And the average will normally track if the obvious captain scores highly. I think that's probably just a, 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 the proof is always in the pudding week to week on that. Um, and it's always very good um, to be captaining a player in that game where things do absolutely go mad. Um But I mean, what do you think of Anthony? Is is it always the case that uh, that this is what's going on, that fixture difficulty is one of those things where um, it's more about the playing style of the teams rather than looking at things like the FDR as your shorthand to seeing how good or bad a fixture is?
0: Yeah, I definitely avoid the FDR. I, I think you can. I think I would bet any manager that's listening to us can probably put together a mental FDR that's probably more useful than that particular FDR. And no, it's it, it can be definitely a little bit misleading to say the least. Um. Yeah, it's it'd be very silly to discount playing styles when you look at these things. Tom, like you, with Bruno Fernandes and Manchester United against West Brom. Um, a few weeks ago I didn't fancy him purely because United have really struggled against defences that sit back like that and I maintain that and this West Ham game in game week 11 is going to be no different to them to that however you know all points said earlier in this pod about Bruno Fernandez, fixture proof etc means that I'm no longer going to continue with this strategy when it comes to somebody like Bruno Fernandez. and I think that kind of gets at the conditionality of this that okay maybe it's worth thinking about this playing style thing to a point maybe particularly with your captaincy but when it comes to just your selections in general and your transfers in general maybe give it less weight so maybe for example Fulham is an interesting one maybe this is a theory I'd like to test out over the next few weeks and to maybe look back a little bit further but I captained Dominic Calvert-Lewin against Fulham the, in game week 9 and that obviously worked out better than the variety captaincy this week now you would say okay but what's the difference you know they're full and playing against a team that's doing much better than them in the league. But the difference is the type of finisher, for example, between Jamie Vardy and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, for example, easy for me to say that with hindsight, and that's why I'd like to test this out over a further time, is that Dominic Calvert-Lewin is a first-time finisher who just, you know, he just makes the most of a chance when it comes straight away, versus Jamie Vardy, who's more of a run on and finish, albeit first-time player, Maybe is that a little bit of a distinction, which is why, of course, as Nick said, Vardy is particularly good against really good teams like City. Maybe this is why against Fulham he struggled. I, I'm not going to give you any sort of like massive um, treaties on that, but I would like to see that kind of going forward on that particular fixture. West Brom's another interesting one who have, as Nick said, kind of confounded our expectation and done a lot better against the bigger teams, let's say, than we would have expected, even though if you look at their stats in terms of shots conceded and things, they're right up there with the top. But Sam Donston is a huge part of that. But they don't actually concede that many goals, West Brom. And maybe we've you know calibrated them incorrectly just based on fixture difficulty. Whereas that playing style, as you say, is something we need to consider more that they just they do sit back and they do try to not lose when they play the big sides. And that isn't necessarily a good thing. Compare that to Southampton against Spurs, the easy example where you know they're chasing the wind. They they fancy it and it explodes. Anyway, thanks very much to Tom FPL Sponge for emailing in for correspondence this week. If you want to be featured in the correspondence, get on to us at, who got the at gmail.com with poems, thoughts, comments, concerns, anything. We'll we'll have a look and we'll probably get it into the pot at some point. It's we've had quite a lot of submissions over the last few weeks and it's been great to see it. But we'd like even more guys. So keep this slot going from strength to strength. Isn't that right, Tom? Your favourite slot?
1: Yeah dead by christmas i reckon (laughs) here we go again (laughs) it's almost like i've given it a negative impetus to move forward it's almost like it was a strategy from the beginning Hmm. Right, okay, let's move on <laughs> to, to the Q&A uh, after that bit of behavioral science uh, and uh, talk about some of the questions that we were asked this week. Thanks so much for the questions. I know I didn't put them up for very long, uh, so those who got in, well done. Um, but you know, for weeks going forward, I will try to leave it up for longer. Than I, think, I think I only left about 15 minutes this week because I had to go off for a meeting. So I was like, right delete, get, on, get on to the, right up the, uh, the running order and then get on with my work, unfortunately. Um, but the first thing this week was um, from Davy Peace who asked who will be FPL's top scorer of the season and why is it Bruno Fernandes? <laughs> so obviously we, we looked at uh, Bruno earlier on, spoke about him in uh, mostly glowing terms, apart from Nick, who's looking to, to, to get rid of him uh, for a short term, uh, a little while. Um, who do you reckon is going to be the high scorer this season, guys? Is it going to be Bruno or do we from the, the likes of Salah or last season's man, KDB, are going to rock through? Uh, Nick, what do you reckon?
2: I think there's, there's certainly a few candidates out there, isn't there? Obviously, Son and Kane have had a brilliant start to the season, and I know they've been quiet this week. But they're, they're up there, and Fernandez and Salah. You know, you could even put Grealish on an outside chance. I don't know, or Calvert Lewin, very outside chance. But you know, there's, there's. I think it's very hard to say who's going to end up being the guy that. With ends with the top score it's probably going to be Salah if I had to put money on it I'd probably bet on Salah but it, it probably depends on who can stay fit for the longest ultimately and avoid injury and uh, maintain that form but you know I think all, all all of those guys I just mentioned will be up there in terms of 200 points approximately plus by the end of the season I think.
0: Yeah just given how competitive things have been so far this year and amongst those elite players. I think you're talking about really a player who can get north of 35 goal contributions in the season. That's give or take what you probably need to do it this year. Really, I think that's between Kane, Salah, and Bruno Fernandes. Um, if Kane can continue his playmaking exploits, then he would be a pretty good bet for it. But I think just going on historical pedigree and the fact that midfielders get that extra point uh, for their goals, which does help, um, I think Mo Salah will still probably take it. I think he's got more players around him who will get him his assists. So whilst Bruno Fernandes and Kane might be more creative players, they don't have as many good finishers around them as Salah does. And I think that might pay dividends over the course of the year, especially as... um, like the previous years, Firmino hasn't been finishing the chances as well as you might expect. And I think shot is going to change that. There's kind of three primary goal scorers there, including Salah again, and I think that will benefit him maybe more so than that. United, who you know, they have great players there, great finishers there, the likes of Rashford, but not consistent enough maybe to help Bruno over the line. And for Kane, it's, it's pretty much just Son. And if Bale you know, really gets going, he could really deliver that extra edge for him.
1: I just wondered by game week twenty two if we're going to be saying this sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, I say that because that's when City's fantastic run for the time being ends. I mean, neither of you mentioned Kevin De Bruyne there last year thirty six goal involvements, but a really nice run over those next twelve game weeks that takes in Fulham, West Brom, Newcastle, Brighton. Palish Sheffield United at home as well as away games the likes of West Brom again and Southampton um, who surely are not going to be uh, naive enough to play that high line but I mean by that point could you be uh, those eleven games apart from arguably United game uh, maybe the Chelsea game as well apart from that I can see you no. Know, 15 goal involvements over those 11 games if Sissy do turn it on Um, and he could well be in the running again I mean last year he only got above Salah and obviously Nick I take your point that Salah is in terms of the numbers in terms of the predigree um, going to be the player who is going to be the guy you put your money on Um, but I can imagine De Bruyne getting a a, a good uh, proportion of his overall end points from these next 11 games um, and that could be the, the way forward there. I do like Kane as well as, as an option there, Anthony. I, I was about, I was actually going to say him as being the guy who was going to be the dark horse because the level of creativity, as we've mentioned, um, he's got nine assists this season. He's got more assists than goals, Harry Kane. Um, easily, um, after 10 games, if it's seven goals, nine assists, he could end up with 20 goals and 20 assists. I mean, that would be a revolutionary wouldn't it as an FPL asset if he can do that when the fixtures turn I mean after you know obviously at the moment we're in a bit of a fallow period for fixtures but from the game week 14 that Leicester game when that begins um, there are only tough fixtures for pretty much for the end of the season Our game week 20 against Liverpool, 22 against uh, Chelsea, 24 against Man City that's all I'd be worried about the rest of the season is pretty much a solid run so If you get him in, or at least you keep him past like from now, then you've got a player there who could potentially be the high scorer who you've got in a kind of base price. Wow. Okay. He could be the he could be the one I think this year who would, who's going to run something close to his money if KDB does not do the job. I think it would be, would be a free free horse race between those three. Um, but I haven't run before. Maybe there will be somebody who comes out of nowhere and does it. I mean, obviously you have got the likes of first you know, TAA and Robertson who haven't done anything so far this season. If I loads of clean sheets in that run for Liverpool, hmm,
0: who knows? Yeah, they're just they're just probably that little bit too far behind. You know, this yeah, the thing yeah, for that, yeah. T.A. True, and Robbo yeah. at this mm. point. Yeah, I think with um, with De Bruyne. Whereas you, you kind of you do know with, sorry, go for Nick. I
2: was just going to say, I, I think with De Bruyne, certainly he's going to be one of the highest scorers over that particular period, but. I think he's he's probably a little bit behind already. He's got a lot of catching up to do. He's, he's thirty four points behind Salah and Fernandez. He's um, he's over forty point, actually, points yeah. um, behind uh, Son actually, who's the current top scorer right now. Forty eight points behind him. I think Kane is really interesting. He'd be brilliant as a fan if he can get that twenty goals and twenty assists. I think it's only a Thierry Henry that's actually done that before. Yes, it so, is. So um, yeah, that would that would be great to see. Um, but, yeah, um, it just it depends whether he can maintain that form.
0: Yeah, the the reason why I had De Bruyne that little bit further back was a because he is at a deficit already, but b I think just as the as City do go further into the Champions League, they can't possibly you know mess it up again, and I think De Bruyne will possibly be yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. rotating out of the team. Then I know we've yeah. talked about how he is you know the solution to Pep right now. That's when they're trying to build up their points. If if City can build up a breathing space at the top of the league which is not impossible over this next run everyone is dropping points there's i think if everyone won their games in hand and everything you could have seven teams within six points of the top or something like that it's 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 ridiculous how tight things are at the moment so a team that goes on a winning run and we've seen the likes of liverpool we've seen chelsea we've seen city all do it where they go well up towards 15 wins in a row like if they if they did that that could be the league wrapped up and so with that in mind de Bruyne could then just kind of find himself as in and out of the team and we have seen that previously when they're going further in the Champions League and really that has to be the objective for this city or this city team uh, over the course of this year it's absolutely. really iron to beat
1: absolutely and that, that observation that there may be some rotation I think is a novel one um, which we really should claim on social media Anthony um, um, and yeah, yeah. please talk start...
0: about Pep Broulette hashtag Pep Broulette WGTSA <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, uh, that segues very nicely into the next question so, Abindra Somali um, asks if City are now off on a run following their annual home demolition of Burnley um, because obviously next they've got Fulham and I think that all three of us later on shock horror again so we're only captaining uh, uh, captain Kevin De Bruyne uh, barring a Newcastle under fifteen team out in which case Grealish may be of interest um, but they've got Fulham United Nick won't be selling for that but will be buying him back in again for West Brom Southampton, Newcastle, Everton and Chelsea um, over the Christmas period. I mean, does, does that look fruitful? I've already given my answer that I think it probably is. Um, it's probably one of those kind of timeframes where I'm thinking that the Bruyne is going to come back to prominence and obviously City against Burnley did show signs that they were becoming more settled, Um, albeit when it was saying about players who's scoring and keeping the team, etc. Et what do you guys think about that?
0: Yeah, hey, Look, I think we've all Well, I've certainly expressed my feelings on City's run that I do think that they will go well and I'm not too worried about that United game. Defensively, they haven't been spectacular so far this season. Dean Henderson may be in goals if uh, Taya is injured, which could be an interesting one. But at the same time, City have had the better of the... uh, City have had the better of the Manchester Derbies lately, especially actually at Old Trafford uh, more so. And I I think that I wouldn't be too concerned by that particular game either. So, yes, do I think City are off on a run? certainly enough to merit getting one of their players in.
2: Yeah, I think that's, I saw the line there that um, City have some fantastic fixtures, um, and yeah, um, we we're all on De Bruyne, you know, there, there are cases for a double up or even a triple up, if, if you're willing to take some risks, but... You know, like we we just don't know who else is going to play, do we? So that, that's the problem. Maybe even you could say with Agüero out, that Jesus becomes an option, perhaps in the forward line. If you're fancying a swap um, of Kane or Vardy out, so he may be one to be considering um, the, the premium Calvert Lewin, if you will, um, which we used to call him disparagingly, because both Calvert Lewin and him miss a lot of chances. But Calvert Lewin has changed his ways, so that's the, an old saying. We we'll have to find a new one for him, but. Um, you know, Jesus only has two goals so far this season, which is pretty dreadful considering he's um played quite a few games. But um, I don't know, uh, we'll have to see with him. I think he's certainly an option,
0: yeah. we was to move on then towards a question about mid price midfielders. And Seb Slade actually emailed into who got the assisted gmail.com for the correspondence section. But we thought this question was pertinent enough to just get it in here in the Q&A instead. So, Seb, Seb is saying that he was early on on the Hamez hype but that's obviously now a fond memory having captained him in game week four for him so with those serial blanks in mind he's looking at a replacement now assuming that most people own Grealish uh, Seb pointed out that uh, Diogo Jota is an option we've already spoken about uh, Fern- Fernand Torres who Seb suggests could be a huge differential and he also has James Ward Prowse in here who is the sixth highest scoring mid so Anyone else, lads, or those three mid-price midfielder options? What do you think for Seb?
1: Yeah, I think it's got got to be Jotter, hasn't it, at this point? I mean, we've we've obviously waxed lyrical, or at least I did wax lyrical about him earlier on. And I think that he probably is the one that you'd be eyeballing and thinking, you know what? It's a bit of a no-brainer, as we've mentioned. Apply the uh, not less engaged manager mindset. He's the one to just buy, bring in, leave in your team, enjoy the prize rise, enjoy the points. I'll be hoping to do that next week <laughs> um, but yeah it, it's definitely one of those where if you are in that situation I'm, I'm almost envious that you've got that kind of sense of an obvious transfer Um I'm assuming that Seb has DCL so he can sell hammers um, even if I didn't know DCL I probably would be looking to sell hammers actually so it doesn't matter too much I, I, I don't know if he has DCR. Yeah, or not Yeah, Just, yeah that's yeah. fine I probably, I, Even if I didn't own DCR I'll probably be looking to Hammers here because it, I mean he was very unlucky actually the weekend, wasn't he? He could have scored two goals was it? They got ruled out um, but, but the, the pictures are coming uh, thick and fast and there's always that sort of English uh, uh, mentality, first season for a foreign player, things are getting cold, things are getting wet, can they keep it up against Stoke on their Tuesday evening Um, uh, as for his other options I think uh, Ferran could be a very interesting differential actually I do agree with him there Um, it depends on whether he is going to be the rotation actually obviously he's going to be a rotation threat Um, it's more about where the ceiling lies with him. I suppose he's going to get probably seventy, eighty minutes per city game, depending on other games during the week. And he's one of those you're going to, have to keep an eye on and have pet roulette in mind for. Um, JWP. I just, I think he's one of those players who is uh, a fantastic zombie team addition. He's just so good. If you are not going to be messing with your team very much, and obviously you are going to get those kind of double digit hauls every now and again, which is amazing for the price point six point zero. Yeah. I look at that, even though you sit, sit high score and mid, and think, well, if there was a procession of blanks when Southampton aren't in form and not doing very much, and he's just getting two or three every week, would you want to move him out? I probably would. So I think Jota's always going to be one there for now because he is fundamentally, as we've said before, an attacking player playing for the league champions. I think it's a bit of a no-brainer. Uh, Nick, what do you reckon?
2: Yeah, I agree with you there on Ward Prowse. Um, I feel like he he offers a lot in terms of dead ball situations, and he's he scored some worldy free kicks. But outside of that, I don't see too much attacking threat from him. So you're just kind of relying on those free kicks and those goals, those assists from corners and, and things like that from him. I think to a certain extent, yeah, Torres obviously he's a, he's one perhaps for the future alongside Foden. But if they're not going to start, then no point going for those guys. Obviously. You mentioned Greedish and Jota. Those are the guys in my team and they're the ones that I would say are the best at that price point. You know, there's, there's a few other people, if you're going a bit cheaper down the line at the 5.5s, are starting to catch the eye, like Pedro Neto at Wolves, who was um, uh, very good this week and, and starting to get... Um, some attacking returns as well might potentially even be leading the line in in Jimenez's out absence. We don't know, but he got a goal and an assist against Arsenal, and he's only five point five. And um, some of the Leeds guys as well, maybe even uh, Jack Harrison, for instance, is uh, seeming to be the creative force there. He's created twenty three chances, which is a third for all the midfielders right now. And uh, yep. and Leeds fixtures um, aren't too bad either in in the uh, short term. So another one, perhaps cheaper there to to consider.
0: Yeah, I think I can really only echo what all of you guys have said. Uh, Diogo Jota would stand out for me. One player you just didn't mention who's just an alternative option again in this list, be Mason Mount, who just you know continues to look extremely competitive and you know is continuing to get his minutes, really does try, will get in the right positions occasionally. £6.8 million is probably a little steep, and I think that's probably the reason why you'd have to favour some of the other options you've mentioned, but worth throwing him into the conversation as well. While Not there. as
1: good as Greedish, though, is he, Anthony? Let's be fair. No, that's uh, no, let's, let, let's move on to uh, so, uh, cheap forward preferences. Uh, so Chris Smith at FPL Moth says cheap forwards are looking great value this year. But which will we prefer, especially if it allows, especially if it allows us to funnel cash into midfield premiums? Um, so uh, I think before this game, we kind of said uh, uh, Mr. Watkins uh, but being 15 points down, on where I thought I would be with Watkins, uh, missed penalty. Uh, a penalty not given last week, and an offside goal, Varan incoming. No, I'm joking. I'm an idiot. Um, I think that probably, I'm probably going to say Bamford at the moment. I saw an absolutely ridiculous stat this week um, on, I think it was XG Philosophy on Twitter, uh, which genuinely blew my mind uh, about what's been going on with Patrick Bamford. But he has a higher non-penalty XG than Salah, Sterling and Fernandes combined this season. I mean, the guy, even though he, like, he's the inverse of the kind of forwards you want, he is not good at scoring obvious chances. He scores very nice goals, low HG goals. He does not score what happens, that guy. But he is scoring points, and you're in the volume game where you're saying, okay, he gets loads of shots, therefore he will eventually score. Um, I think that he is one of those that you can put a bet on. I think at the moment he'll be. I'm. I. I am a little bit of okay. Last few games he has blanked, and um, but I'm a little bit um, sad about not buying him over Watkins. I think he's going to be one of those players who could do well over the course of the season just because of the volume of chance he's going to get. He's not a Mopey. He's not a Mitrovic in that. Um, he is going to continue to get quite high quality chances to produce him by that uh, Bielsa system. So I think he would be the one that I'd be really kind of uh, underlining as being a decent, cheap forward asset. The other one's Antonio, who before he got injured, I was obviously all over, did bring in, and I got a nice kind of goal out of him against Man City before he got injured again. Obviously going to need time for him to build up, um, but he is the talisman of that West Ham team. He's the one who makes things happen. Today they were... Um obviously they reliant on Bowen to some extent, but when him, Antonio and uh, the sporting cast have got going, I think that he is going to be the one who really energizes that attack and the uh, West Ham are pretty decent. Um so I think he'll be the one for me. And I think actually he's the top the top for me in terms of the hierarchy of cheap strikers. I mean, um, you know, like Che Adams and stuff. Actually, nick you got you own Che Adams, don't you? I mean, is he the guy you'd be uh, pointing out here?
2: So, so I, I do like Che Adams, and he, he's been doing a pretty decent job uh, for my team in, in recent weeks, sort of propping up with the the odds goal and the odd assists. And and in that respect, I, I got him, I think, at five point eight million as well. So, from a, from a pure price and economics perspective, he, he looks great. Um, actually, I've looked at, at some of the similar players to you. Obviously, nice of Bamford looks great in, in terms of the underlying stats. You know, amazing. Volume of goal attempts. The, the one actually that I wanted to call out, perhaps as the best pick, was um, when you didn't mention that was Callum Wilson, uh, six point five million. Um, so yeah, I like Watkins as well, but I think with Greedish, I don't think it's worth tripling up on Villa. With a lot of us have Martinez or defender as well. I think Watkins is avoidable. So yeah, for me, it's it's just um, it's just Callum Wilson. The uh, the fixtures are just great in the short term. Uh, Villa West Brom leads Fulham at home next four um so some really nice fixtures he's, he's looking like he's you know on form he's the Newcastle talisman as well seven goals to his names um he's not has as many chances as likes of Bamford so he only had 18 no, so 17 inside the box uh, but you know 10 big chances taken so a lot of his chances had have been uh, big chances so um you know in terms of the underlying stats, it looks like Bamford's getting all the goal attempts because just because Leeds are creating so many. But I think Wilson with the short term fixtures would be the one that I would target.
1: You, you, it's hard to watch Newcastle games, isn't it? That's that's the thing with Wilson. Like, you don't want to be watching those games, you want to just see what happens from the four time wrestle bros because you know you probably got points out of him if Newcastle had done anything. Um, but actually watching them is, uh, well, I. I prefer to watch paint dry, frankly. Uh, Anthony, what do you reckon here?
0: Yeah, I had that exact same thing written down about Callum Wilson. That you know he is great to own, but terrible to watch. Um, but I do think he is the well, he in particular, but Newcastle are particularly terrible to watch. Now Newcastle, it's the fixtures really, as Nick pointed out. They're they're just so bloody good that I think it's very hard to ignore him. And he has been, I guess the physical embodiment of the Mike Ashley cut your cloth club management way in terms of how efficient he has been with his finishing so far this season, seven goals, quite a few of those have been penalties and he's not wasting his big chances, but that's what you want. There's, there's nothing wrong with that from, Your striker and when you're able to get him in for a relatively cheap price of 6.5 million, I think it's fairly sensible. I do like Bamford and what I do like about Bamford and I I didn't, I was very sceptical about him pre-season is yes, the, the quality of the chances that he gets and all the stats show that, but it's the fact that he's getting chances against pretty much everyone is also very good. You know, the fact of the matter is that Callum Wilson doesn't get many chances. So you could quite easily point to it and say if he goes off form he's not going to get many chances to find form again Bamford will and arguably he's going to put away the chances as Tom said that you don't expect him to put away anyway (laughs) so (laughs) there's a kind of a a reverse psychology kind of thing going on with Bamford the whole time which does make him uh, quite a a good pick and at 6.1 as well particularly good value it's it's kind of the, the problem is team structure wise when we've talked about the amount of midfielders we want to get into our sides you really only have space for one of these guys in your side, and that's the difficulty. Especially if you want to get Calvert Lewin in, that's it's very hard to make this all work. And Certainly. picking one, I'd still go for Wilson short term for sure.
1: A slightly nerdy point actually that has just come to mind here is that when Wilson was at Bournemouth, he was big chances missed man, wasn't he? he uh, was. just yeah. Last year, I think it was he had 20 big chances and scored 9 of them or something like that like it it's it, something around that sort of that sort of that sort of province uh, uh, 19, okay 19 big chances eight goals scored um it's it's really interesting to see that kind of reversion for him from being he's had a a, a, a feast of big chances and only scores half of them to now he's making the most of it um, is it a case that he's overperforming in that role and Bamford is uh, underperforming given the big chance he's got? Well, obviously, we know Bamford from the the, the championship. Um, is it very, very wasteful? Mm, it's an interesting dynamic there. We're really intrigued to see how it plays out. I don't have any answers, but just an interesting point. I've got. <laughs> and the final one this week is fans in stadiums, and it's another writing uh, from my friend Karam. Um, you can find him at Karam Tizer on Twitter, and uh, Nick and I have met him on the last couple of uh, meetups. Uh, very nice guy, right, Nick? Um, who has been uh, yeah a very very nice friend of the pod over the last little while. Um, Anthony, another another correspondence one for you to read out and uh, get excited by. It.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely letter as well. So uh, Karam thanks a million for our brilliant efforts week in, week out, and we thank him for emailing him in, in as well. So basically what Karam is asking about is, with fans expected to be back in stadiums from game week 11, um, we know that London, Liverpool, Brighton and Southampton will be able to welcome fans again in stadiums. So many teams were impacted positively and negatively by pan, fans' presence in product Restart and over the course of so far this season. So how should we read that from an FPL perspective? Guys, what are your thoughts on fans returning to stadiums, albeit in very, very small numbers? I think max 4,000, am I correct? Yeah,
1: it's, it's very small. I think that there's one really, really good test case for how much fans impact uh, performance. And that is Sheffield United, uh, the team who are currently roots the bottom of the Premier League at this point, looking at the down. Sorry, Blades. One point after 10 games. You've got to be thinking about Chris Wilder there, haven't you, really? I'm sure he'll be kept on. Um, But one point after 10 games, uh, root to the bottom of the table. This time last year, they were actually eighth. They had 13 points, and they're equal points with the likes of Manchester United. And you've got to probably put that down to the fact that Bramwell Lane creates that Semblance of a, a very intimidating stadium, intimidating arena for players to play in. um Obviously, it's an intangible thing when it comes to the data, um, but it's one of those things that gives players perhaps an extra 10%. And I, I think that we've all been there, we've all been in a high uh, adrenaline situation, we've been able to pull out performances where other people haven't been able to. For my case, it's not playing in front of 50,000 people, it is being able to present in a corporate setting, um, but at the same time I think it's one of those things that you can definitely uh, definitely uh, empathise with, and I think that be, it'll be interesting to see how the reintroduction of fans does begin to amp up players, players will play off them and also um, how certain players perhaps who weren't particularly good when it came to the pressure uh, could uh, you know, fall back by the wayside, I don't know um, but Fans coming back, Nick. What do you reckon is going to be the case there? What do you reckon is going to happen?
2: Uh, yeah, hi, Karim. Um, so, so I, I think it's. I'm not sure it's going to have that big an influence on on the game, to be honest. Um, you know, and with the home form as well, it's it's only a small number that will be allowed into stadiums, in 2,000 or so. And um, you know, pers- from personal experience, I've always found sort of the home away form has been generally. Um, pretty speculative um I, I also read apparently i don't know if it's true or not but i read that you know they're, they're not going to be allowed to alcohol they're not potentially going to be allowed to shout or sing as well so it'll be very interesting to see how um how it all works in in practice and um, obviously as you said some players it might fill them with confidence it might help you know teams like sheffield united perhaps to perhaps have a a few core ultras cheering them on to, to try and help them or you know other players we've seen before um, seemingly play better without the fans there you know, controlling them they you know saw about West Ham how they've actually performed better because they haven't had the pressure of the fans from the London Stadium you know abusing them essentially when thing, things go wrong um, or um, you know perhaps players like Joel Linton, as an example, who's, who really seem to struggle. Um, most of his Newcastle career started to show a little bit of form uh, recently, um, perhaps has benefited from the fact that he hasn't had a crowd jeer him every, every time he, he's missed a sitter. And so, you know, I think there will perhaps be some elements, but I think from an FPL model, I think it will be very hard to assess what these changes will do and if it will influence our decisions at all.
0: Yeah, for, for what it's worth, Graham, I don't think it'll make much of a difference from an FPL perspective. I think maybe <laughs> occupying my role is the more negative of the three of us. I think that from the limited experiences we've had of games with a small number of fans in the stadium So we've seen it in the international break for example uh, Northern Ireland's uh, Playoff uh, for the Euros for example Had a crowd out against Slovakia and Windsor Park And that was obviously a huge Game for Northern Ireland and I think It did make an atmosphere in spite of the fact that it was a small Crowd but it is a relatively small Ground whereas A lot of league games are quite run of the mill Um, take for example even West Brom Aston Villa or West West Ham versus Aston Villa today for example is a good example of just your average mid table clash not a huge amount um, lying on it one way or another and I think that might be comparable to when Ireland played Finland during the Nations League and there were fans in the stadium but geez if anything I think what it did was underline the futility of what's going on at the moment that you know they're just putting a few people in just for the sake of it just for the bit of pr but really the, the football is being kind of continued on life support and you have to kind of question is it worth it in that sense for the clubs and for everyone involved and is are the players getting the buzz that they used to get out of it and i think maybe that these fans returning will actually underline that if anything which um, <laughs> isn't necessarily the best thing in the world but from an fpl perspective i don't see it really changing things but anyway Let's move on from uh, my slightly dark outlook on that and move towards the transfers and captains for the upcoming game week. Odds what are you thinking?
2: So I think I've pretty much said it um, already that I'm planning on rolling my transfer um, and captaining De Bruyne so if I roll it then I need to fund Bruno to Salah, um with 0.3 million which might mean a boring defender downgrade as well accompanies that so that's that's kind of my, my plan but it will invariably be destroyed by some injury or someone getting COVID or something so that's at least a short term plan same
1: captaining uh, De Bruyne rolling transfer I'll try to figure out what happens next week I'm still pretty glad that I did uh, money for De Bruyne which I mentioned earlier on Um, so yeah, just, just leaving it as it is I've got no Liverpool players so that's definitely be something I have to deal with um, it probably will be Watkins, if he was sacrificed, or maybe Vardy, maybe, who sacrificed a player. I'm not sure yet. Um, so quite a lot of things that I could possibly do. I'm glad to be in a position where I've got a decent sort of set of players. Um, lots of news that Newcastle apparently have had a big COVID outbreak. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I've got a triple uh, Villa uh, set up at the moment with Martinez, uh, Grealish and Watkins. So if that game is called off, I'll be, moved, I'll be kind of... Uh, obliged to make a couple of moves there um but hopefully it doesn't happen and hopefully i'll be all right and i'll be able to roll it we'll see um but yeah default is roll it um notwithstanding injuries covid etc cetera, etc cetera. anthony finally
0: yeah the thing with that newcastle game and it, it's one to monitor for everyone who's listening as the week goes on as it stands right now we know of kind of bottom line is it's very unlikely to be cancelled it seems right now so with that in mind, Grealish would have to be consideration. But as it stands, just based on fixtures and imagining the world as it is normal, I think De Bruyne is leading the pack. And much as I want to get Bruno Fernandes into my side, I have £4.6 million in the bank. I can't, I'm can't. i not transferring out Grealish, obviously, with that in mind. But then the only player really who I can transfer out would be Suček. But I don't have enough money there. So is it worth taking a hit to get Bruno Fernandes in or do I go another week without him? But if I go without him in game week 11, I'll probably go without him for the derby in game week 12. And suddenly we're looking at multiple weeks of dreading Bruno Fernandes, goal emojis, and I'm not sure if I can deal with that. Anywho that is the end of this week's pod thanks very much for tuning in we were who got the assist thanks so much for listening and don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and leave a review as well they've slowed down in recent weeks we'd love to get a few reviews in on itunes to help us shoot up the charts a little bit more
2: yep and of course um don't forget to send correspondence it will uh, keep anthony very happy you might even get another squeal from him
1: up yep, great next week. We'll be back on Tuesday because these guys are both being professionally responsible. Anthony has an exam, Nick has an exam, which means we can't do the Monday, so we'll be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, we hope this helps you uh, think about how we cover the bases in FPL at the moment. Uh, we'll speak to you uh, next week on Tuesday. Goodbye. It's on. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist?